that you're here tonight and that you're going to be a part of this next message in a series that we began in the book of Joshua, the theme being, be strong. All right. How many want to have strength of the Lord in your life? And you need the strength of God in your life. So that's the theme of this entire book. It is meant to be an incredible encouragement to the people of God, to the leaders in the Lord's house, in the church, but also to the people that God is a God of strength and that we too are then victorious because we serve a God who is victorious. So I want you to be encouraged tonight. Last week I began in Joshua chapter 1 and we looked at the first nine verses of Joshua and in that we saw how the Lord encouraged Joshua as the new general of the armies of Israel, right? And the Lord encouraged him in his commission, in his calling. See, the people of God knew that Joshua was chosen by God, all right? It wasn't just that they got together a popularity contest or had an election, you know, and then Joshua became the leader. God chose leader. He chose Joshua. He was Moses' successor, okay? And so they knew that. So the Lord encouraged him also uh, and with the promises that God had made to him. All right? So he had a calling. He had promises. He promised Joshua that he would enter the land, that he would have victory over his enemies, that he would divide the land among the tribes of Israel as an inheritance. God encouraged Joshua by reminding him of the written word of God and to meditate on it. And last week we learned that that word meditate in Hebrew implies something more than just thinking, more than just pondering, more than just reading it and sort of chewing on it in your mind. It, it implies the word mutter. It implies the word speaking it with your mouth and repeating it and talking about it, you know, and repeating it again and telling it to your children and having discussions with other people about what the word says. This is what it means uh, to mutter. And so he told Joshua, do not let the word depart from your lips, right? This book of the law, depart from your lips. The same words that God had given Moses, this law. He encouraged him with his command to be strong and courageous. And God's commandments, we learned, are God's enablements. In other words, whatever God commands us to do, he enables us to do it. He'll help us to accomplish it. He doesn't just say, go do it and then leave us up to ourselves and in our own strength and in our own abilities and our own wits to figure it all out. God says, no, I command you to do it and I will empower you. In fact, I will be with you. I'll be with you always. He will go with us. In fact, he'll go before us. All right. And so what a promise to continue the chapter. Then tonight, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter one. Verses 10 and to 18. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn there right now. Uh, you online as well. Check, Take out your Bible and, and look there. Uh, some of you have a paper Bible. Some of you have an electronic Bible. Whatever way you got to get to it, just get to the Word of God. And let's look at these verses together. So it's now time to uh, for Joshua to take all of God's encouragement and then to encourage his leaders. And this is the what we're going to start with looking at. But before we read that, let me make this statement to you. Rebellion is a human pastime. Humans love to rebel. Many in history have not followed the instructions of their spiritual leaders to their own peril. And many people 
uh, and many leaders have have followed the Lord's instruction, have not followed the Lord's instructions to their own peril. How many times have we heard of this? People will not follow the leader. The leader will not follow God. And it never ends well. Why is it important to follow our spiritual leaders? And should we just follow them blindly? I think this is a great question. I think this is, is definitely worth talking about because we need an answer on this. So we know we need to follow our leaders, but should we just follow them blindly? What is God, is, what is God expecting of us? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 gives us a great verse here. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. So before we get into this lesson in Joshua tonight, I just wanted to give you these just three quick points of insight from the verse. And these points are going to end up on the screen here in a second. But Joshua and his officers demonstrated obedience to the points I'm about to make, okay, this truth in their attitudes toward one another. But, and, and we'll see that in a minute. But this is the way that God wants us to work together in 2021. So from Hebrews 13:7, I glean this. One, we need to imitate the faith of godly leaders. If you have a godly leader in your life, and we know you do, we have Pastor Ricozzi as our pastor, right? He's a godly man. Then we can imitate his faith. We can look at what he has shown us by his faith and the demonstration of his faith, and we can imitate that. The second thing is follow them in biblical and church matters. This is important, something that we can learn about following our leaders. It's important. God has given them a mandate. He's given them a calling. They've studied the word of God. They are responsible to God for how they lead his people. And so in matters of the Bible, that is their primary function is to instruct the people, is to tell the people what, and explain to the people what God is saying. And yes, they encourage you to study because we should all be studying for our own, right? And the Holy Spirit is our, is our best teacher of that. But God has given us leaders to instruct us in biblical lessons and in church matters, how, how the church should be conducted, how, how we should go about our affairs according to the vision that God has given the leader. So that leader is responsible for all of this. So it's up to us then to follow the leader in matters of Bible and matters of church governance. Follow the leader. If he's telling you what you need to wear or what you need to eat or getting into your business, you know what I mean, then that's beyond the scope of his duty, all right? But if it's about biblical matters and church matters, follow the spiritual leader. That's what God's put him there for, okay? And then the third thing is make it a joy for them to lead you. Make it a joy. Does anybody just want to be a pain? You know, when it comes to being a follower, I just want to be a pain in the butt of my spiritual leader. You know, that's my calling, right? Uh, I think that our attitude ought to be make it a joy for them to lead you. In other words, hey, I, you know, I'm learning, I'm growing. Thank you so much for explaining that to me. Yes, thank you so much. I can, you know, can I help you in any way? Can I serve in this ministry? Or can I help you with this? Or can I make some phone calls? Or can, how, what can I do? You know, just to just to help you in the call that God has given you. That's what I learned from Hebrews 13:7. Make it a joy that you are a follower of that spiritual leader because God has called them and made them responsible for your soul. 
Okay? So these are some things I learned. So now let's see how Joshua and his officers demonstrated these things. So the first part we're going to get to is this. Joshua, the leader, encourages the officers. And let's look at verse 10. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he told them, Remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God is giving you a place of rest. He has given you this land. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has given you rest, and until they, they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. Only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. Now we're going to get into what all this means here in a second. But before Joshua came his predecessor, Moses. And the nation under Moses was so organized, he could quickly and easily communicate with his leaders in the chain of command. And this is something we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 15. So I took the wise and respected men you had selected from your tribes and appointed them to serve as judges and officials over you. Some were responsible for a 1,000 people, some for a 100, some for 50, some for 10. So we get a glimpse of the organization that was in the camp of Moses. There are times when leaders must consult with their officers, and there are times when they do not. This was not one of those times. Moses didn't assemble the leaders to ask for their advice, but to give them God's orders. And there is a time. And so when God speaks sometimes to our spiritual leaders, it's not time to debate and get into all these votes and get into all this stuff. But if God says to do something, it's time to obey. When God speaks and his will is clear, meetings are not necessary. They might be nice. But they are not necessary. The timing of obedience should be of greater consideration. And so God shows us this in his word. Forty years before at Kadesh Barnea, the nation had known the will of God, but they refused to obey it in Numbers chapter 13. Why? Because they believed the report of the ten spies instead of believing the commandment of God and obeying by faith. Had they listened to Caleb and Joshua the minority report, they would have spared themselves those difficult years of wandering in the wilderness. There is a place in Christian service for godly counsel, but a committee report is no substitute for the clear commandment of God. This is something we have to wonder. Sometimes I think in the American church, this is particularly important to point out because as Americans, we're democratic, right? And when we're democratic, we always got to vote on everything. And every person has a voice, <laughs> right? That's the way we think. But in the, in the church of the Lord, when it comes time for God to give his command to a spiritual leader to pass it on to the people, sometimes it's not about the committee when we need to obey a clear commandment of God. Joshua's words to his leaders were a faith and encouragement. 
He says to them, you will cross the Jordan. You will possess the land. You will conquer your enemies. This is encouragement. This is telling the officers, this is, you will do these things. The ultimate application of the story of the Jordan, for, as, as an example here, of course, is that the Jordan represents a transition. The Jordan represents a change from the old to the new. When you cross the Jordan, you pass from your old life into your new life, your redeemed life, into the promised land. That's the, that's the, the biggest application of the story of Jordan. It's a timeless of every believer's example of passing from death to life. As Joshua led his people to victory when they crossed that Jordan and he led them to victory and conquered their enemies and conquered the land and they began to enjoy the land flowing with milk and honey. This is an example of what Jesus has done for us in the spiritual. Jesus through his death on the cross and then his resurrection, right? He has conquered. He has taken his people into the promised land and now we have life because of Jesus Christ, our leader. And this, too, is how Joshua is a type of Christ that we can look at in the Old Testament. But allow me to apply this story in a slightly different but a related way as I felt the Holy Spirit leading me into this example. And it's amazing as I talk to Pastor Ricozzi about it. It's like, wow, God is using what he is sharing with Pastor Ricozzi. He's sharing with me these same sort of thoughts, and they're kind of they're going together. So here's the application. You see, Joshua's words of encouragement to his officers would be like Pastor Ricosi standing before all of our pastoral staff, our board members, our volunteer leaders, and encouraging them to get ready to receive thousands of new believers into the body of Christ. It would be like pastors standing before our leaders and saying, get ready to push back the kingdom of darkness and pluck those souls out of the hands of the enemy and bring them into the kingdom of light. They are your inheritance because they are your brothers and sisters. It's as if pastor would stand before us and say, you will boldly go and share Jesus with your family your neighbors, and even strangers. You will lead them to Christ, baptize them, and disciple them. You will speak the truth so powerfully that it will tear down every argument against the knowledge of God, and it will obliterate every demonic power standing in your path. The harvest is massive outside the walls of this church. There are people of every age, every background who need Jesus Christ. They come from all over the world. They speak various languages. They have diverse religious experiences. They have different tastes in music, in attire, in food, you name it. The only way that they will ever believe in Jesus Christ is if we bring them the good news. To do that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need to speak their language. What grabs their attention? They are not the enemies we need to conquer. They are the promised land that we need to possess. The only thing that makes a party worth having is a full house. Okay? Our king loves to share, and it will truly be a land flowing with milk and honey when it is a house full of redeemed souls. This is, this is the heart of our God. Our enemies, the things that we need to conquer, are the things beyond fear, the things that cause fear, the things that would keep us from crossing the Jordan or sharing the gospel with other people. 
That's what we need to conquer. What are those things? Things such as powerlessness, weakness. Well, we need the Holy Spirit to remedy that. Things such as confusion. Well, we need biblical literacy to combat that. And spiritual discernment, which we also need the Holy Spirit for. Excuses. There's no excuse for excuses. We need to stop giving excuses because we can come up with a million excuses to God why we can't share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you, if you can put a political banner up in your front yard, well then, you better be willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Disobedience. That is a hindrance to entering the promised land from crossing the Jordan. And these are just a few. Let me encourage you in the same way, especially those who have been part of the church for many years. For some reason, the older we get, the more obstinate we can become when it comes to the direction of the church. We are in danger of becoming sanctified obstructionists. But it doesn't have to be that way. You see, Caleb and Joshua were the oldest men in the camp. And yet they were the most enthusiastic about trusting God and entering the land. This is the way it should be, right? The older we get, the more excited we should get for the will of God to take place and to obey the commands of God. Not to be set in our ways, to be ready for God to do a new thing. Get ready for God and the excitement of the adventure that we have with our God. So as, the older, as they got older, they did not become sanctified obstructionists, as many tend to be. Things may change, but when God is in it, those changes will always be to include more souls, not less. You see, the problem with many churches is that the older they get, they include less and not more, and they think that's a good thing. Church cannot be us for and no more. Just because we think we're doing it the right way and everyone else can just go somewhere else. That can't be our attitude. That is not the attitude that God wants us to have. You see, Joshua was concerned that the people remain united in conquering the land and worshiping the Lord. And our God is concerned about his church today, that we would stay united in mission. Remember, conquering the land means sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Entering that promised land means souls coming into the kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom expanding. That's what our promised land is. So most important in the church is that leaders remain unified. So I'd you know, I've talked to pastor about this, and we, we've just said, yeah, our leadership, our staff, our board, our volunteers, we need to be as unified as we possibly can, especially in the times that we're living in. How many know we live in an incredibly divided time? I mean, it's divided all, around, all over the world. It's not just the United States, but there's so many divisions around the world, okay? But especially here in our country, we see the divisions, all right? On all fronts, all different types of fronts, philosophical especially. You know, this, this ex social experiments that people are trying now to, to try to do certain things. We are very divided about that. But our leadership in the church needs to stay unified. Think of it in the same way that you would think of parenting. Here's what doesn't make sense to me about the world sometimes. In this cancel culture that we live in, nobody would parent this way. In parenting, here's what makes sense. When the parents do not put up a unified front, this gets the kids off the hook. And they often go off the rails. 
So in the church, if the leaders can't be unified, guess what happens to the kids? They go off the rails. There's confusion. Who wins in a situation when it's one parent versus a child parent team? This would be like a church that has a pastor who says we need to go left and we have another staff member that wants to take all the kids and go right. What happens in that situation? Guess who wins? The child parent team always wins. But guess who always loses? Everybody. Why? Because children need their parents' unity to keep them from the anxiety that is caused by not knowing what is right and wrong. They don't understand the rules because mom and dad don't agree. And so they don't know what right and wrong is and what matters and what doesn't matter. And this causes further anxiety, which then causes further behavioral problems. The kids act up. They're confused. And it's no different in a church. The church's leaders need to be unified so the kids don't have anxiety and don't get confused. They need to know what's right and wrong. They need to know what matters and what doesn't. How do parents keep the unity? Parents keep unity as a team by backing each other up. They work as a team. They back each other up. They try to defer to the one maybe that has the feelings that are the strongest at times. Because how many know you've been a parent, you know, you and your wife, uh, you're not always going to agree. Or your wife and your husband, you're not always going to agree on 100% on every way to handle every situation. But a great practice is the one that feels the strongest about something. Sometimes you defer to that. Okay? And they emphasize with their kids. Uh, they, they can empathize with their kids without throwing each other under the bus. This is how they unify. You could say, I understand how you feel, but mommy and I, dad and I, this is, the, this is what we say is right. This is what we're going to do, okay? Uh, they talk about important issues when things are calm. They make every effort to understand one another, and they learn to listen well to each other. Now, tonight this isn't meant to be a parenting seminar, all right? But I wanted to give you the example because I wanted to tell you that this is a family. We are the family of God. And God has called leaders to be responsible for us. And those leaders must stay unified and work together as a team so that everyone can be clear as to which way we're headed, what's right and wrong, and what matters and what does not matter. This is why we need to be unified. And this is what kills me, by the way, and it irks me to see spiritual leaders sometimes getting on Facebook and Twitter and bashing other leaders and Christians. That hurts, that hurts a lot because that's a dysfunctional family right there. And I don't like it. So now you know my opinion, okay? But that wasn't the preaching. That was just my opinion. All right. So the only way church leaders can keep the unity is by having a united front. Otherwise, God's children figure a way out how to manipulate, and leaders will focus on fighting with each other instead of leading the congregation into obedience. Finally, on this point, notice that Joshua is talking to the tribes of Reuben, of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Did you catch that in the reading? Now, what's that all about, and why did they have land on the east side of the Jordan, and when they were just to send their strong warriors in with the rest of the tribes to conquer the land, the promised land, but then after they conquered, they could go back out of the promised land? What was that all about? I don't know if you've thought about this, but let me explain to you, okay? So the reason why they were given that, it was a concession under Moses that they could have that land because it was good for their cattle. 
it helped them to become wealthy. They liked that land. But there's a lesson that we can learn in this. You see, here's the lesson. There will always be those who would rather have big flocks and herds than to live among God's people in the promised land. There are always those, okay, who believe that their inheritance is physical and not spiritual. You're going to read books, and I've heard pastors, and some pastors are, I think, just extremely misguided. They preach a lot on other things, but I've heard pastors talk about every Christian needs to be a millionaire. I, I don't see that. I don't see that in the example of Christ. I don't see that in the example of the Word of God. Do I think Christians can be millionaires? Of course they can be. But should every Christian be? Because is that what God's priority is? No. Jesus said you will always have the poor, which means we're always going to need people to minister to the poor. And i got to tell you something. If you're, if you're a rich billionaire, you're probably not going to be hanging out with the poorest of the poor. You're going to live among them and be like them to reach them. That's what you're going to do. So some people think that that's what's going to take place. You're always going to have physical blessing, but really God is talking about spiritual blessing. You see, we can have all the possessions and fame in the world, but still be miserable. We need to make sure that making a living doesn't become more important than making a life. Fellowship with God's people and participation in worship is about claiming our spiritual inheritance. So this is an issue. These tribes represent those who come close to the inheritance. They're willing to help for a little bit of time, but then they go back to their comforts. Now it's time to see how Joshua's officers responded to his encouragement to them. What did they do? Well, we can look at verses 16 to 18, and we can see that they just go ahead and reflect that encouragement back to their leader. The officers encouraged Joshua. Let's look at verse 16, 17, 18. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever or all you command us, and we will go wherever or anywhere that you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. This is what the officers reflected back to their leader, the man of God, the one they knew that God chose to lead them. They shouted this back to to Joshua. Now, this is the dream response that any pastor would love to hear. (laughs) You know what I mean? If the pastor was saying, you're going to... You're going to cross the Jordan. You're going to take the land. You're going to defeat your enemies. Are you with me? And he wants to hear it right back. Of course, we'll do whatever you ask and we'll go wherever you go because we know that God is with you. May the Lord be with you. And anyone who disobeys should be put to death. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's commitment right there. But that's a dream response, all right? Uh, Because a leader who heard that kind of response would know that nothing could stop them. I'll tell you what, if you had a bunch of leaders around you, you knew strong warriors for God, and they gave you that response, you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to be strong and courageous because now I know you guys are strong and courageous. You believe this, and if you're with me, and I'm, and I'm leading, and you're going to go, well, we're going to do this. We're going to get this done. So the officers encouraged Joshua 
by pledging their complete obedience. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us. We will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. What confident trust these officers had in their leader. There could be no doubt that they believed that what Joshua instructed them came right from the mouth of God. They believed it. How else could you make that kind of statement to a human? We will do whatever you ask. We'll go wherever you go. And we will obey you like your pre- uh, the previous leader. Why? Because they believed that leader was of God. They had confidence. Now, here's the thing. Obey whatever and go wherever. That should be our pledge to God. How many love the Lord? You know, you'd say to the Lord tonight, Okay, Lord, I wanna, I, I'm going to live up to, I'm going to say this. Lord, I will go wherever, okay, I will go where, or I will obey whatever, and I will go wherever that you ask me to go. I will do it. Yeah. That's what kind of commitment the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for from his people. We should always use discernment and test the things that our spiritual leaders say, but we need to be careful not to become cynical or critical without biblical basis. If what we're being asked to do is based on the word of God, which is the revealed will of God, then why should we criticize the messenger? More often than not, our our reluctance to follow is, is related to inconvenience. No one likes to be inconvenienced. And in church, many a times when the church would not follow the pastor, would not follow the leader. It wasn't because they shouldn't have. It's because they didn't want to be inconvenienced. Oh, that'll take too much. Oh, we don't have the resources. Oh, that's too hard. Oh, we've never done it like that before. You, you've heard all this. These are the kinds of things that have, been ha- that have happened. And I've got to tell you, it's just about inconvenience. But I tell you, our God doesn't put up with inconvenience too well. And us using that as an excuse just because we're inconvenienced. Listen to these words in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Boy, that sounded like the officers that were talking to Joshua, right? I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, "Hmm, not so fast. He said, I will follow. He says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. Have you thought about this? You'll follow me wherever I go? Well, it's not going to be very comfortable. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I thought we were, I thought we were going to stay at Motel 6, you know, in Bethlehem. No, we're going to be sleeping on the ground outside. Oh, people don't count the cost of following Jesus. It's not convenient, all right? But this is what Jesus is teaching. And then verse 59, he said to another person, come, follow me. And the man agreed, and he, but he said, Lord, <clears throat> let me first return home and bury my father. Well, that sounded like a reasonable request, right? I mean, dad died. I need to go to the funeral. I can't go follow you off on this three-year expedition, you know, without going to my dad's funeral. I'm going to say goodbye. But verse 60, Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Wow. That's Jesus said these words. But Jesus is saying, He's being serious. What he's saying is that there are people who who will not accept God, have not accepted God, and you can't do anything about that. 
But for those that haven't died yet, that still have a chance, that's even more important. That work is important because as long as they're alive, they need to hear the gospel and they need an opportunity to make it to heaven. That's important work. This is what Jesus is saying. He says this in verse 61. Another one said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say, go, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Again, a statement of very high commitment. The words of Christ challenge all our tendencies to avoid inconvenience. Following Jesus and the leaders that he calls will most certainly be inconvenient. But it is the only way that will satisfy the standards of the kingdom of God. The will of God must come first. It is perfect. The officers encouraged Joshua by praying for him. We see that in verse 17. It says, And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. You know the best thing that you can do for your pastors and leaders is to pray for them daily and ask that God would be with them. That's the best thing you could do. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to be with them when they're making their decisions, when they're dealing with circumstances and situations, when they, when they need to come up with that vision to share and how to share that. Pray for them. Without getting into an entire sermon on the power and the importance of prayer, let me just ask you this question. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare time? Corey Ten Boom, Holocaust survivor, said that. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? It's very easy to waste our thoughts and our words on criticism. It really doesn't take a whole lot of effort. All right? Some people are masters at it. Some have master's degrees in it. All right? I'm convinced of this when I read Twitter. All right? It is usually rewarded instantly with others who agree and then pile on and take it even further than the one who wrote it, the critic, could have hoped, and sometimes beyond what the critic expected. It's easy. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to look at something and analyze it and come up with why it was wrong and how you everything about it. It's so easy to do. It's almost second nature. But on the other hand, it is very difficult to formulate meaningful prayers and heartfelt expressions. That is so much harder to do. See, there's no reward in it, per se, because you didn't give the expression. You didn't formulate the prayer so that you could be recognized. And if you did, shame on you. There will be, no, there'll be nothing in that. It was done out of a false motive. But anyone who sits down or takes the time to really pray something meaningful or really to express something to somebody and put it in writing and make it meaningful and from the heart, it takes work. And there's no immediate reward because there was no attention to be gained or praise in any way. It was said entirely for the benefit of the one who it was addressed to. Unfortunately, as humans, we tend to default to the easy and rewarding forms of communication which is always negative, which is always critical. Let's tear someone down today. <laughs> That's way more fun than praying for them, especially leaders we disagree with and we really just don't like. Let's just tear them down today. It's so much easier. It's so much more fun to do that. 
And let's pile on with everybody who agrees with us about how horrible a human being that person is. So easy to do. Much harder to pray a heartfelt prayer. Much harder to use that same wit for something meaningful. Something that God would be glorified in. The officers encouraged Joshua by ensuring them that their obedience was a matter of life and death. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. I wonder how much that we would do to change our fear of evangelism if we could really see the impact of neglecting to share the gospel, of obeying the Great Commission. Anytime anybody comes with evangelism, some people just get so afraid. Oh, I can't share Jesus. I'm so afraid. There all these fears come up. Social anxiety comes up. Sharing Jesus is like one of the scariest things to do in all the world. But I wonder what we would do to change that fear if we could only see the impact of our neglect. If we could only see all the people that are going to hell because no one ever told them about Jesus Christ. If we could see, what would we do differently? Would we then finally get on our knees and cry out to God and ask for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be upon us so that we could have boldness to be witnesses? Will we finally take the time? Will we be willing to spend hours in a prayer closet so that God could change us, change us from the inside out? God, I'm so afraid. I'm so timid. I'm so, I, I, that's just not me. Well, when can it be you? Because it is a command. When it can it be? How much would you do to change that if you could see the result of your neglect? I wonder if we would stop compromising, if we could actually see the impact it has on our children and those who watch us. Some of us just compromise. We think it's our own sin. It, we're just doing it. It's only affecting us. No. You've got people around you that it affects. You have eyes that are watching you that it affects. Every word that you speak that's a word of compromise, someone listens to and they think, okay, that's, that's okay. I look up to you. I could do that too. If we could see the impact of our compromise, how much would we do to change that in us? What would we do? These officers, they took Joshua's leadership and their responsibilities seriously. And later, a man named Achan of the tribe of Judah, of the clan of Zerah, of the family of Zimri, wouldn't take Joshua's order seriously enough, and it would cost him his life. Joshua 7.15 says, The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. Listen, it didn't just cost Achan his life. It cost his family members their lives. Because of the sin of Achan and stealing those treasures when they, shouldn't have, they should have been destroyed, it cost Israelites their lives. Warriors died in battle because of that disobedience. And then Achan's own family was singled out, and they all had to die for that disobedience. What we do in our compromise doesn't just affect us. Luke 6.46, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus is looking for those who will take his leadership as Lord of their life seriously. Not just Savior, but Lord of your life. He's looking for you to take that seriously. The officers encouraged Joshua by reminding him of the word of God. They said, so be strong and courageous. Now, we heard that four times during chapter one already. Be strong and courageous. You see, these officers are repeating the very words that God spoke to Joshua, showing their support and belief in the God of the command. They heard 
that come from God to Joshua, and they said it right to Joshua too. God says be strong and courageous. We just reflect that right back to you, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Joshua was surrounded by God and his leaders, all sides telling him to be strong and courageous. What leader could fail when you have God on this side and you've got your leaders and officers on this side and they're coming together in the middle and saying the same thing to you. Be strong and courageous. We believe in you. You're the man for the hour. How could you fail? God is with you in that. And this is what God is looking for in his church today. This is what we need in the American church today. We need believers to come together in unity for one purpose, to do the will of God and have a focus on taking that promised land and reaching souls for Jesus Christ. If we are to conquer the enemy and claim our inheritance in Christ, we must have a spiritual strength and a spiritual courage. Our first step to winning any battle is to let God encourage us and then for us to encourage others. That's the first step before we ever sharpen the sword or ever get out onto the field. We need the encouragement from God and we need to encourage others. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal son. Charles Wesley wrote that. You see, a discouraged army is never victorious. We need to be an encouraged army. Amen? Amen. I want you to be encouraged tonight. You see, Deuteronomy 121, what a, what a passage. Let this encourage your heart. It says this, look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And that's what God is saying to us tonight. You've got family members in your life that need to know Jesus Christ. You've got friends that need to know Christ. You've got neighbors that need to know Christ. You've got strangers all around you. You have a world that needs to know Jesus Christ. And guess what? We don't have to be the afraid, discouraged, distraught, you know, bad report type of people. We can be encouraged. We can be emboldened. We can be empowered. And we can believe that these souls are ready for harvest. But God needs those laborers. God needs those who would be willing to go and fill his house. He's not looking for excuses. He's looking for us to go to the highways and the byways. He's looking for us to do whatever means, whatever means possible, to go anywhere he calls us to. Whatever he asks us to obey, that's what he's looking for. Amen? I believe we get that in our heart. And I believe in reality in this church, I believe we unify together around. And I believe God will take Chandler First Assembly to places that we have not seen yet. There's a big community out here that needs Jesus. Amen? And I know we live in the Southeast Valley full of all these large churches and thousands of people going to church. But guess what? For all the thousands that are going to churches, there's thousands and thousands more who never do. Who never do. We don't have enough churches in Chandler to seat everybody. We don't. We don't have the space. Even if they all wanted to come on a Sunday, we couldn't do it. Not if we filled them up all day long on a Sunday. We couldn't do it. There are thousands and thousands that need Jesus Christ here. And God is wanting to use us to take that lead. Amen.